Four Corners Church exists to provide families in North Cincinnati their greatest opportunity to become fully developing followers of Christ. We hope that this week's episode encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus. We would love to hear from you. So at any time, email nextsteps at fourcornerschurch.com, and we look forward to connecting with you. Thanks for listening. Hey, we're so glad that you are here at Four Corners Church, and a special welcome to everybody online, and a special, special welcome to everybody who's a part of our 4C Kids ministry program, because we value kids around here. Let me, let me tell you something, parents. When you drive the anchor of the gospel deep into the heart of a child, it holds. And so our goal as a church is to partner with you in that to stand with you, parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles who bring kids here who are part of our community to make the gospel stick. And it's powerful what can happen when a church rallies around the next generation. So thank you for being the kind of church that does that. Well, what a joy for me to be back up after about five months. And just before we went into kind of shutdown mode where we didn't really close the church, but everything we were doing was online, for the three weeks previous to that, I didn't speak. So it's been almost six months for me, so I hope you got the afternoon free. Um, we'll continue. We got no. I'm, I'm kidding. We're beginning a brand new message series today called "Pray Again." Pray again. Now I want to talk to the men for just a second. Men, sometimes when we talk about some of the spiritual disciplines like prayer, like fasting, and stuff, sometimes without knowing it consciously, men will kind of tune out and think that that's for like super spiritual people or whatever. And sometimes men will just say, hey, I just want the action items. Help me be competent in what we're doing. So I want to tell you guys today, if you're a disciple who's a man, today's message, I think, will uniquely speak to you because it gives you an opportunity to be brave, to be courageous. And and ladies too, listen, what we're talking about today is not for the faint of heart. What we're talking about is God's privilege that he's given us to be able to go to him regularly and honestly and talk to him. Did you know that that's what prayer is? It's an opportunity to talk regularly and honestly with God. And through prayer, we get to be reminded that he cares for us, that he's powerful that he's everywhere we're going to go, he's already there. The biblical word for that is omnipotent, powerful. He's omnipresent, that is, he's everywhere. And he's omniscient, he knows everything. So when we go to him in prayer and we ask for wisdom, he has it. When we go to him and ask for power, he has it. When we go to him and say, God, be with me through this, he's there with us. So prayer is an amazing privilege we get as disciples. And I want to take you to a couple of characters over the next few weeks in your Bible who prayed bold and honest prayers that when they got done praying these kinds of prayers, it completely changed their life. And I think prayer can do that for you. I really think that prayer can change your life. So I'm calling it pray again, because the truth is that some disciples who are listening online and some in the room here, you have been people of prayer. Like you know a little bit about what prayer was like, And I think it might be time for you to re-engage the privilege of prayer. And for some people, maybe you've never really made prayer a mark of your active journey with God. And I want to guilt you today. I just want today to show you the power of a prayer prayed in sincerity and honesty. And I don't care if you're 65 or 15. Today, what we're talking about matters to you. Even if you're like eight years old, what we're talking about matters because when you get to talk to God and you do, 
He brings alongside of you his spirit, the Holy Spirit, who stands with you as a companion, as a confidant, as a comforter, who comes along and walks with you. So today we're going to look at the prayer that David, little shepherd boy David, who was on the backside of a mountain in this little nation of Israel, tending his father's sheep. That's where the story of David kind of begins. David's unknown. He's the youngest in his family, and he doesn't have the favor of some of his older brothers. So they give him an important but really not a valuable job, at least seen by most people, the job of a shepherd. And one day while he's a shepherd, he gets called to deliver lunch. He's a delivery boy to his older brothers on the battlefield. And when he gets to the battlefield, there's David, there's the armies of Israel, and then there's the enemy across the valley by the name of Goliath. Goliath is head and shoulders above everybody else. He's tall. And David, in the story of David and Goliath, moves from an unknown shepherd boy on the backside of a mountain to being on the forefront of the national conversation. David has with him a slingshot and five smooth stones, and he literally runs out onto the battlefield to face the enemy. And in that moment, God gives David power over the enemy, and all of Israel sees it, and David begins a journey to be king. Now, David records in the Bible for us a lot of his thoughts and prayers about his life's journey. He writes songs for us. The book of Psalms in the Bible, 150 chapters long, over 80 of them are attributed to David. It's a big deal. David has so much to say about life. One of my favorite phrases about David in the Bible is, is the Bible describes him as a man after God's own heart. He's a man after God's own heart. Now, when the Bible describes a person with the phrase, a man after God's own heart, a person after God's own heart, I don't know what you think is going to happen after that, but in my mind, what should happen is, is David should kind of have an easy life. He should pretty much do everything right because he's got God's heart in mind, and he should pretty much be kind of living large and doing everything good. But in true fashion to the Bible story, the Bible doesn't take the hero David and make him totally clean. It tells the truth about him. And David's life is not easy. It's filled with challenges. Even as God is blessing him, he has challenges. And David doesn't always do the right thing. In fact, he makes a lot of mistakes. In fact, at David's pinnacle of power, he makes his biggest blunder. When he could literally spend his life enjoying the fruit of all of the conflict he'd had up to that point, he makes a major blunder in his comfort that casts him into some really incredible pain. And that's actually where we find him today, dealing with pain in his life that comes as a direct result of his choices. Now, his other challenges were because people were doing things to him. The challenge in front of David today in our story is just what David has done to himself. And David prays one of the boldest and bravest prayers contained in the pages of the Bible. And I, I want to challenge you with, you with this idea today, that we're not today learning about David's prayers so we can know what David did. No, that's not what we're doing. Today we're learning about David's prayer, and my hope is this, is that you'll pray the same kind of prayer. It would be bold if you did that. It would be courageous if you do that. 
It will literally change your life. And I'm not trying to speak in hyperbole or to overstate or to emotionally force you into something you don't want to do. What I'm trying to do is show you the power of prayer when it's done honestly and repetitively in your life. So the Psalm chapter 139, we find a couple of verses, a few sentences, and one of the most powerful prayers a follower of God could ever pray. So here are the words up there on the screen. As you're watching in the room up on our screens, here's what the Bible says. David prays to God, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. 20 years ago, I was sitting in an auditorium of a church, hearing a pastor preach this passage. And he talked about how these words were dangerous. Not dangerous in a bad way, but dangerous in a good way. And they would require boldness for people to pray these words for themselves. I've never forgotten it. And as a way of just kind of getting our hearts ready, I'm wondering if we could throw those words up one more time and we could say them together. Psalm 139, on the count of three, we'll begin with the word search. Ready? One, two, three. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, if you have some time this week and you want to engage your Bible, the entire chapter of Psalm 139 is one of the most powerful and beautiful passages in all the Bible. In Psalm 139, before we get to this prayer that David prayed, David affirms just how powerful God is, how present God is in his life. And so I have found myself going to Psalm 139 for the last six months around here, just saying, God, I need you to remind me that you are bigger than my problems. When the mountains of the challenges are in front of me looming large, I go to this passage regularly to remember that God is bigger. On the occasion when I have felt somewhat alone and under pressure because of what's going on, I've gone to this chapter to remind myself that no matter where I go, if I go to the mountains, God's there. If I go to the valley, God is there. If I go to the highest heights, the lowest lows, God is there. And as David started reflecting on how big God is and how awesome he is, it caused him to confess in humble honesty this prayer. Uh, by the way, I didn't tell this the first service, but now it's online for anybody that wants it. One of the reasons why we sing worship songs before we open God's word together is not because one just sets the stage for the other, although that often happens. But when we worship God, when we sing about how great he is, what it does is it often puts the heart in the right place to receive whatever God wants to say to us. And if we believe God's word is there to preach to us in power, then what we want is we want to be in the right place so that no matter what he says, we're open to receive it. Let me tell you something, disciple. You want what God wants for you. And one of the greatest deceptions of the enemy is he tries to convince disciples that what God wants for you is less than what you want for yourself. That God's somehow trying to withhold happiness from you. That if you were to follow God, you're going to miss out on what other people have. And so he convinces you, he convinces me that what's really going on is God has for us a lesser than plan. 
So we come together as a church and we worship to remind ourselves that God and his plan and his purpose for our life is better, bigger, more beautiful than anything else you and I could think or imagine. And when David has time to think about that, it causes him to say the words that we read. Search me, God. So I want to ask you a question, disciples. When's the last time you went to God and asked him to look deep inside of your heart? This prayer that we read, it's really four micro prayers in one prayer. Four key phrases we're going to look at. And each one of them, I believe, is like a key in the door opening your path to more of what God has for you. But in order to turn the key, open the door, and walk through, you're going to have to be bold and willing to be honest. Without it, these are just words. With courage, with honesty, with an openness to hear what God might say to you, these words are powerful. So the first phrase, search my heart. Now, when I was 11 years old, we moved, my family moved from inner city Chicago to the mountains of Southeast Tennessee. It's culture shock for me, culture shock. We said pop. When I got to Tennessee, everything was Coke. What kind of Coke would you like? Well, there's only one kind of Coke, stupid. That's what I was thinking, right? What kind of Coke do you want? No, it's, it's pop, right? And that was the most minor. I'm about 11 years old. I'm struggling with the culture. And then I quickly picked up on a phrase that every Southerner knows by heart. It's the phrase, bless your heart. Bless her heart. Which is a phrase you use when somebody does something incredibly silly. And you feel a little bit of pity for them. You say, oh, bless her heart. Implied, she's not very bright right now. She's not using her best wisdom. She's not living her best life now. That's what, that's what that phrase means. But if you think a little bit deeper about that phrase, it implies that you have a good heart and I have a good heart and everybody's got a good heart. And I know what we mean by that. Hey, she's got a good heart. Now, what she did wasn't great, but she didn't mean anything by it. He's got a good heart. What he did wasn't awesome, but deep down, he's a really good guy. And I know what we mean. And in the right context, that's a fine phrase. But can I tell you what the Bible says about your heart and mine? The Bible, when it talks about your heart, it doesn't describe it the way that Disney does. Disney says, follow your heart, pursue your dreams, and everything will be great for you. The Bible says just the opposite, that unless your heart is being transformed by God, your heart should be viewed with suspicion. Your heart will generate motives and ideas and desires in you that if you don't filter them, will take you to a very bad place for you. The prophet Jeremiah says it this way in Jeremiah 17. Look at his words. He doesn't mince words here. The heart is, are you ready for this word? Deceitful. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And then the Lord answers the prophet's question. I, the Lord, search the heart and I examine the mind. This is what God says about our hearts. Now, I don't think your heart's bad all the way through, but I will tell you in myself, and I'm honest, there are things in my heart that God has not yet cut away, some things that I've held on to, some things surprise me, actually, that remind me that left to myself, my heart will take me to the wrong place. 
this week, a friend of mine that I talk to every couple months, a fellow pastor, got a pretty large online presence. He, uh, he posted something online. Now, I'm going to tell you what I did with this. But when I tell you this, I want to let you know that this is a hard story for me to tell because I'm afraid that when I tell it, you're going to think less of me. And that's, that's okay. Right near the front door of this building, there's a sign that says real love now. And the word real in real love now for us is about being authentic, that you don't have to come here and put on a mask. Now, right now you do. You literally have to put on a mask. But what we're talking about is you don't have to put on an emotional cover. You don't have to pretend to be something else. You can be honest about where you are because we know this, that authenticity and truth sets you up to experience the freedom that God has for you. I just want to be honest for just a moment. So I see this buddy of mine, a guy I like and a guy I respect and a guy I generally agree with, and he posts something online. And when he posts it, I'm just scrolling through the feed, right? And I see it. And here was my, here was my thought. He's posturing. He's posturing for his followers. I can't believe this. He's like giving in. And I was just frustrated by it, by how smooth his language was, by how attractive the words were and how he said it, this complicated issue he was doing. He said it just so well. And this is my buddy. And then you know what happened for the next 30 minutes as I returned to it? His feed starts lighting up. Great job, pastor. You're so insightful, pastor. We have the best pastor. I don't know if that's what they said, but that's what I was reading, right? And so here, that's, that's going on in my mind. And, and I'm getting ready to preach this message. And like I always do, I try to let the message preach to me first before I preach it to you. By the way, that's, that's hard. And so I'm praying this, you know, this prayer. God, search my heart. Search my heart. And then often after I get done praying, when I'm trying to be honest and transparent before God, I'll just create some space. Like, you know, I say, before I say amen, I'm just kind of quiet for a bit. And this idea came to my mind. So Ben, what was really going on in your heart when you had that feeling as you read that post? Now, what was going on in my heart, pure and simple, was jealousy. I was jealous. Now, I want to let you know that every other pastor in greater Cincinnati, they don't have the same faults I have. So you should probably go to their church. Your pastor didn't know it, but he still on occasion wrestles with things like jealousy and envy. On occasion, I have to kill the dragon of lust in my heart. On occasion, I have to deal with bitterness in my heart. On occasion, I have to wrestle with, with issues of honesty and integrity in my heart. Because here, here's why. I know that the heart, the Bible says, is the wellspring of life. So what's going on in here ultimately is going to come out here. Jesus said it this way, that the words we speak ultimately are the overflow of what's going in on our hearts. He said it, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth is going to speak. So if you listen to somebody talk long enough, you're going to get some indicator of what's going on in here. This is what worries me a bit as a pastor. It puts a burden I have a burden about this in our culture and in our church. Because if you listen to people talk these days online and in other places, the level of discourse is so divided, so polarizing. And for disciples, the language of love and care and leading with courage doesn't seem to be there the way that I think in an ideal world it would be for disciples. 
And so it's real easy for me to look out at everybody else and say, he should, and they should, and this is probably what's going on over there. And I think that has a role. But at the end of the day, the question that you and I have most control over is what's going on in your heart. David doesn't pray, God, search Jill's heart. That's my wife. He doesn't pray that. He doesn't pray, God, search that person's heart. He says, God, search my heart and help me see what's going on inside of me. Can you see how dangerous that is? Can you see how much more attractive it is to the enemy of your soul to keep you focused on everybody else? To keep you focused on whether or not they have that sin that we're all talking about right now? without you asking what sins show up in your life? You you know, Jesus talked about this, right? He said, it's gonna be really easy for us to be judgmental because all of us are uniquely tuned to see other people's stuff better than we see our own. So Jesus gave us this metaphor to keep in mind. He said, don't get so focused on picking out the sawdust in your brother's eye that you forget to deal with the two by four plank coming out of your own eye. Don't do that. And when you pray this prayer, what you're dealing with is the tendency that every human being has, which is to be more judgmental of others and harder on others than we are with ourselves. We're very clear with others and we're very gracious with ourselves. And one of the ways to beat that is to ask God to search your heart. I just want to ask you real quick. If you didn't know that this was a possible prayer, fine. But if you already knew that you had the option to ask God to search your heart, let me just ask you a question. Why don't you regularly ask him to search your heart? Have you ever thought about the kinds of prayers we pray? Let me tell you what the prayers in my life often look like. God bless this food. It's fine. Uh, My kids are going out the door. God, keep them safe. It's fine. We're going on a trip. God, keep our family safe. There's a theme to a lot of my prayers. It's safety. It's comfort. It's ease. This prayer won't do that. This prayer will not bring you comfort and safety and ease immediately. But it will provide for you a path to the deepest longing of your heart. God, search my heart. Now let's look at the next phrase. The next thing David prays is, God, would you reveal my fears? Reveal my fears. The way it's written in the NIV when we read it was, test me and know my anxious thoughts. I wonder if anybody besides me has had some anxiety lately. I wonder if anything has gripped your imagination, maybe held you stay awake at night. I wonder if you were like me at any point along the way and you're just scrolling and scrolling through the newsfeed trying to get one more piece of data to make sense of something that you have no control over. God, search my heart and test me to see if there's anything anxious in me. Anxious. I think our society is consumed with anxiety. Now, let me give you a phrase that I heard recently as I was looking through this passage that is not original to me. I give credit to Craig Groeschel, pastors of a church in Oklahoma. He says it this way. 
that what we fear the most reveals where we trust God the least. What we fear the most reveals where we trust God the least. In fact, let's say that together up there on the screen. Here it is, even at home, if you would. What we fear the most reveals where we trust God the least. So it's okay to be wondering what the economic impact of what's going on in the world is going to be on your home and your finances. That's okay. It's understandable. It's realistic. But beyond that, there can be a worry and a fear that sets in. And for the follower of Jesus, the right question for you is, not what wise decisions do I have to make in light of this? That's a fair question. You should do that. But another good question that gets to the heart of the matter is, is whose responsibility is it to take care of me? Is it 100% on me? Or do I have a heavenly father who takes care of me? Will God provide for me? If I follow him fully, will he really provide for me? Now, that's a fundamental question that every disciple has to wrestle with. And I just want to be honest with you as a pastor. My observation is, as many of us have not wrestled with that question. Will God provide for you if you follow him with your life? Now, how you answer that question, do you believe God will provide for you if you follow him with your life? How you answer that question has a lot to say about whether or not you have fear or trust. I know there's all kinds of practicality. Trust me, I'm a pragmatist. I love the details. I love the systems. I'm wired that way. But at the end of the day, am I responsible or is God? That's a fair question. God revealed my anxiety. You know, there's a lot of relational anxiety these days, isn't there? There are single people who really want to be married. And as they're trying to figure out what it looks like, single or married, sometimes they'll rush into behaviors and into relationships, not because God is directing and they're careful, but because deep down they don't believe that God is going to bring them the desire of their heart. So they got to kind of help him. They got to kind of let down the guard over here, rush to this behavior over here. What's at the core of that? There's an anxiety and a worry that reveals that trust has not matured. It's understandable. I get it. And I'm not throwing stones. But let me ask you, disciple, are you brave enough to ask God, God, show me my anxiety so I can discover where else I need to trust you? I think about the irony here. We say as disciples, we trust him with our eternal destiny. I trust the work Jesus did on the cross and in his resurrection to secure my relationship with God such that I will spend eternity in heaven and not hell. Wow, what a powerful statement of trust. And then we turn right around and say, but I don't trust him to lead my life through singleness and marriage. Now, somewhere there's a disconnect. I trust God for my eternal destiny, but I do not trust his plan of finances. I trust God for my eternal destiny, but I don't trust him for what I'm going to get back on this test result from my doctor. That he has a plan for me that's good and right. Now, these are simple things for me to talk about, but a few years ago, I was at my dermatologist, and he says this little spot on the back of your neck uh, doesn't look so good. So we need to 
you know, take a little slice and send it in and get it tested. And I come back and he uses a word that at my age, I didn't think I would hear. He's like, that's cancer. Whoa. Uh-oh. Like, I wasn't afraid, not because I was trusting God, but because I thought I was somehow exempt because at my age, you don't get a word like that. And I had to figure out, God, what am I going to do with this bad medical report? Do I trust that you have it? Or do I need to carry this in a way that's going to consume me with anxiety and worry? God, are you in charge of my life, really? Are you marking my path, really? And if so, no matter where you take me, am I good? Are we good? Is it good? So David, at his worst moments, returns to the greatness of God and boldly and humbly says, God, search me and show me where anxiety is showing up in my life and help me figure out what's really going on there. Do you have the boldness to pray a prayer like that? Have you been, been a disciple long enough to know that when you pray prayers like that, God shows up, that whether you're 15 or 50, God shows up. He takes pleasure in answering the desire of your heart when you say to God, search me and show me my anxieties. I had to be reminded in that season as they were cutting away at my neck and left a really big, nice scar. I like to tell people I was in a battle, a street fight when I was growing up in Chicago. I wasn't. It was just a piece of thing. I had to get cut off. I'll show you my scar if you want afterwards because I'm at that age where I talk about medicines and scars. That's where I am in life. So I'd be glad to show it to you. But I had to learn again to look at 2 Timothy 1.7. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. It helps us to keep our mind. God, I trust that you're everywhere I go because you're omnipresent. God, I trust you have all the wisdom and knowledge necessary because you're omniscient. God, I trust you have all the power necessary because you're omnipotent. So do you trust him? Search my heart. Search my heart, God. See where anxiety is showing up in a way that is unhealthy and actually undermining my trust of you and robbing me of the joy and peace you call me to. And number three, one of the harshest and most direct parts of this prayer. See if there is any offensive way in me, or we could say it this way, uncover my sins. See if there's any way in me that's inconsistent with your character. See what's going on in me that might lead me to stumble and fall. God, I know that your word tells me that my enemy is crouching at the door, waiting for me to walk through, and I don't see him so, I can, so he can pounce on me. I know that he's roaming to and fro in the earth like a roaring lion, lion seeking whom he can devour. And I don't want to be victim to the sin that so easily besets me. So God, would you uncover my sin? Now this runs against nature, doesn't it? Because every little kid knows the reason why you lie to your parents is to cover what you know was wrong. Parents, one of the most disappointing days in my life was when this kid that I had invested in and loved and was so cute was standing in a hallway talking to me, lying directly as if I didn't know the truth anyway. And I remember thinking, how did we get here? Jill needs to be a better parent. That's what I was thinking. But it's there, isn't it? 
this desire to hide. Let me give you a pastoral principle. Wherever secrecy and hiddenness is marking your life, sin is right there. So long before you actually sin, there will likely be hiddenness and secrecy. That's why you don't share the passwords with your wife. That's why you cover your tracks online, right? That's why you quickly and carefully guide where you are and what's going on. That's why when your phone text dings, you grab the phone before anybody else can see the screen. It's hiddenness and secrecy. And long before the affair, there's secrecy and hiddenness that leads to it. So David says, God, I'm getting a sense of how big you are. I'm in the middle of a really rough situation. So here's what I need, God. Would you uncover my sin? Wow. Wow. I, I want to tell you something. Your personal theology of sin says a lot about what you think about God. See, if you think God is just mad at you because you're not a good little boy or girl, you missed it completely. The reason why God doesn't want you to sin is that he loves you and doesn't want the pain of your sin to manifest in your life. God doesn't want the pain of your sin to show up in your life. So he gives us both principles and rules that as disciples we're to follow. It's not enough to just not have lust expressed. You've got to see what's going on in here, men. You've got to deal with it at the deepest level. It's not enough to not just say bad things about people. You actually have to watch what you think in your heart. You can't just not gossip. You actually have to have goodwill here for other people. God, uncover my sins. Now, a pastor friend of mine by the name of Tim Lucas shares four questions you can ask yourself. If you really are serious about God uncovering your sins, here they are. What are others trying to tell me? Do you have people in your life who care for you that have said things to you like, I'm a little concerned for you here. Hey, I, I heard that thing over there and I just have a couple questions about it. You know, I, I was praying for you and this thing's just in my heart. I just want, I'm, like, I'm not gonna judge you. I just wanna talk to you about it. I wanna tell you, I think one of the reasons why I've been able to be involved in ministry for 30 years isn't because I'm better than anybody else. But one thing I learned early was is I needed people in my life who felt free to talk to me and challenge me. And what I've learned is that when somebody has demonstrated a heart for me, the best thing I can do is listen to what they're saying. Even if I disagree, I need to pause and consider seriously. And the depth of relationship often determines the seriousness of my engagement. But do you have people that can grab your attention and say, as a disciple... I want to talk about this thing in your life, this behavior, this thing I'm observing, and I just want to give you a little warning. We resist that, don't we? But one of the reasons why David pulled out of his deepest nosedive in life is he said to God, God, uncover my heart, uncover my sin. Question number two. What have I rationalized for some, some time? It's just one drink. It's just a little bit of online behavior. Everybody else does this. I'm only taking a small portion. It's only fair and just. She said this, then for me to say this is less than. I'm better than my parents. I'm reining it in. I'm not as bad as I used to be. That's fine. All those things may be true statements. But wherever you find yourself consistently rationalizing I'm telling you, the enemy of your soul is ready to pounce. 
And so humbly asking God, God, uncover my sin is one of the most powerful things you can do. Number three, where am I most defensive? A subject comes up, you get your guard up. A thing that you consider liberty in Christ comes up, you get your guard up. You feel like it's okay for you, it's fine. And you might be totally okay. But if you're humble and willing and open, you can ask yourself, God, why am I overly defensive here? Like, what am I protecting really here? What, what's really going on here for me? Here's the fourth question. Where am I most vulnerable to sin? Do you know your weak points? Do you know where you're likely to be brought under the temptation of the enemy of your soul in a way that's going to be hard for you to pull out of the nosedive? Let me just talk again to the men for a second. You know why I want you to pray this prayer, men? Because it's going to help you deal with the matters of the heart that men are so, it's so easy for us to put them on hold. So I want you to pray this prayer to God. God, uncover what's going on in my heart so you can deal with whatever lust might be lurking there. So you can deal with whatever potential addiction and whatever it is you're self-medicating on can be dealt with. And why it is you can only relax with this thing going on in your life. And what it is you are avoiding and what it is you're running towards. And when you do that, let me tell you something, man. This is true for ladies too, but I just have a heart for men on this issue. When you do that, what happens is, is then, man, you get to rise up in boldness. That's the person whom God has created. And I don't mean arrogance to other people and posturing to others. I mean a personal internal integrity that allows you to have a boldness in your witness and in your ministry. Man, you'll never lead what God called you to lead until you're bold about the fact that you need him completely and without him you're nothing. It's the irony. It's the irony of ministry and life with God is you can't until you acknowledge you can't and that through him you can do all things. So man, you gotta pray this prayer. God, uncover my sins. Here's a a simple way for us to kind of word it up on the screen. I dare you to pray this prayer. Holy Spirit, please show me the junk in my life that offends you. Cause it to offend me like it does you. Let it smell like old trash to me. And Father, help me to trade this garbage for the full life you've promised. See, there's a reason why you find yourself going farther than you ever wanted to go. There's a reason why the sin that has tripped you up is costing you more than you ever thought you'd have to pay. That's the deception of the enemy. And honest humility before God helps you deal with it. God, uncover my sin. And then the final phrase in this prayer, and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, David wrote these words before Jesus as followers of Jesus with the New Testament now in our hands. We could say it this way. The fourth part of this prayer is lead me to Jesus. Lead me to the life you have for me. Lead me to the way everlasting. See, what's interesting is David prays, search my heart, look at my fears, uncover my sin. And when he does that, he realizes something. What he needs is grace. When you pray honest prayers like this, it will make you confront your need of grace. I need it. I don't just need a little touch. I need God to save me because I can't save myself. There's stuff in here I am powerless to control. Let me, let me just say something. Some of you, you know this, and you've been running from the truth, that there is stuff going on in you you cannot control. And you are now, with that realization, in a perfect posture 
for Jesus to show up in grace and in power in your life. Lead me. God, lead me. You know the biblical word for lead? Lord. Jesus, be the Lord. Not my will, your will be done. Not me, but you. You first, me second, or third, or fifth. God, I need you to lead me. When you hit the rock bottom, after you've done the work of search me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any sin, what you're left with is a desperate need for God and his grace. And the good news is, that's exactly how he likes to show up. He loves to show up in power and in grace. It's like I learned as a kid, it's the ABCs of salvation that aren't just a singular event, but begin with a prayer or an idea like this and continues as Jesus leads your life. It's A... I admit I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a savior. And then it's B, I believe that Jesus is the Lord of the universe and he is alive and not dead. That's straight from the book of Romans. If you believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead and you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you can be saved. And then C, I commit my life to him. It's your life being lived through me. I give up my rights, God, and I let you lead me. I'm telling you, disciples, when you pray a prayer like that, though the world around you might be losing their minds, you will have a peace and a calm in you. And when you sense that peace and calm moving away, run back to this prayer. God, search my heart. It can deceive me. God, what's causing me to be anxious that shows me where I need to trust you more? God, is there any sin in my life? And ultimately, God, just lead me. Lord, where you lead me, I will follow. There is great power when you humble yourself and call on the name of Jesus. This is why God sent his one and only son into the world, that we might have life and have it everlasting. Jesus came to this world and lived a life tempted in every manner like us. He wrestled with greed. He wrestled with lust. He wrestled with uh, anger. He wrestled with judgmentalism. Everything that you and I are tempted by, Jesus was tempted. And the Bible says that he lived a perfect life. And here the perfect man goes to the cross on trumped up charges he did not deserve to have. In a kangaroo court, he's sentenced to death and he hangs on the cross, not because of the authority of Rome, but because of his love for me and you. And within a few hours, he is dead and he's placed in a borrowed tomb. And a few days later, God raises him from the dead as proof that the sacrifice that Jesus had just paid was sufficient for you and I to have a relationship with God. And the Bible says that if you and I will put our trust in the work that Jesus did for us and not on our own work, we can have a secure and trusted relationship with God. So I want to ask you, are you brave enough to pray this prayer? Some of you maybe have never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life. And you're hearing what I'm saying. Let me tell you if you're feeling stirred as a disciple or as a non-disciple. If you're feeling stirred, that is not the eloquence of a pastor. That is the work of the Holy Spirit, stirring things in your heart, asking and drawing you closer to God. So we're going to pray, and I'm going to give you a chance to ask God to be the Lord of your life. And if you're a disciple, I'm going to give you a chance to do some business with God that says, in effect, God, search me, show me my anxious thoughts, reveal to me my sin, and lead my life. Let's pray right now. 
Father, I want to right now just thank you that in the pages of the Bible, there are practical and real examples of men and women who followed you with boldness. They aren't perfected characters like in literature or in a storybook. They are real flesh and blood humans with struggles and challenges. And yet the story is, God, you show up every time. I want to thank you that disciples in this room can come to you and we can boldly say, search my heart, God. See if there be any anxious way in me. See if there's anything in me that is offensive to you and lead us in the way everlasting. Right now, I lift up men and women who are declaring, Jesus, wash away my sins. I believe that you are not dead but alive, and I ask you to be the Lord of my life. Lead me, Lord, and I'll follow. I commit my life to you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, the strong Son of God. Amen and amen. Thanks for joining in today to the 4C Podcast. If you took a next step or you'd like to receive prayer, go ahead and email nextsteps at fourcornerschurch.com and we look forward to connecting with you. Thanks for listening.